there is not a ride at Six Flags that feels like when a kid is flying around the ice. There's nothing in the world that can hook you on that feeling. Hey everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of You Run Like a Girl, the podcast that shines a spotlight on women and girls in sport. I'm your host, Amita, and today we're going to do things a little differently. This episode is going to be part interview with my amazing guest, figure skating costume designer to the stars, Jan Longmire, but it's also going to be a bit of a memoir as I reflect on my own years competing in the sport of figure skating. Now, I know it feels like we just finished the Olympics and the Paralympics are still going on, but because of the shift to 2021, the Winter Olympics in Beijing are only six months away. Crazy, right? There are always a lot of polarizing topics at the Olympics, everything from whether or not it's worth the money to doping concerns, but it's a safe bet that every four years, people watching skating will be divided over one thing, the costumes. This brings me to my guest, Jan Longmire. She's been in the game for decades, designing outfits for world and Olympic champions. We chatted about how she got started, Tanya Harding, and she tells me why all elite costume designers are self-taught. But first, let me take you back to the early 90s when I started skating at East York Figure Skating Club in Toronto. I was just learning, so to start off with, I wore a snowsuit and a helmet. But slowly, I graduated to wearing tan-colored tights, fleece sweaters, black leggings, and gloves that we used to get at the byway, where they usually had a two-for-one deal. Now, here's a bit of advice, by the way. Never borrow a skater's gloves, because we probably won't admit it, but we're always wiping our noses with them. Anyway, I remember being young and admiring the dresses that the older girls wore, and I recall stores like the Figure Skating Boutique and Jerry's Skating World setting up shop in the arena lobby. They would be hacking brightly colored skirts and matching leggings, pale purple and cotton candy pink skate guards, and bags that were like mini suitcases that you'd haul your gear around in. My own first skating dress was emerald green, and it being the 90s, it was spandex. It had a high neck and a frilly skirt, and I absolutely loved it. I think I even slept in it a few times. I never wanted to take it off. I wore it for tests and competitions and remember feeling so grown up. And I also recall my mom staying up late sewing silver sequins on a hot pink crop top that I had to wear for a new kids on the block number for our annual club show. I remember thinking that designing and making costumes was one of the coolest things in the world. Easy for me to think as an eight-year-old who didn't actually have to do the work, but I'd argue that today's guest agrees with me. Jan Longmire joins me from Malibu, California. Please note that this episode was recorded before the global pandemic. Jan, thank you so much for joining me today. I'd like to start off by going way back. When and how did you get into figure skating costume design? I started um, way back like in the, in the Stone Age in 1984. With, um, and I had done, I mean, I have always done costumes. I have not, I don't care to just clothes. I don't care what anybody wears to their prom or any of that. You know, it's just like, so I had worked with musical theater uh, sometime and, uh, God, I don't even remember now, you know, bunches of things, but it had to be, it had to be, it had to be something that was going to be on a stage. And so, um, so I was, I was taking my adult skating lesson at the age of 32 
And uh, one of the coaches was in Santa Monica where, where Mr. Nix was coaching. So he had all the international skaters there and he was, he was a big deal at that time. And he had, you know, all the kids going to nationals and they were all in this ring. Of course, I was impressed, but that really didn't have anything to do with me. I was an adult skater just learning to do a chalk or something. And the coach said, because I'd mentioned I, I worked for musical theater and, and she said, have you ever worked with skaters? Well, no, but well, would you be interested in trying? I, they had a pair skater named Bert Lasson. He, she said, he's going to nationals. And I'm going, well, cool and crap. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, well, so I, anyway, so I, then I took one look at this guy and he was one of the most beautiful kids I'd ever seen. Um, I went on my, like my jaw dropped. And um, so he, at the time, guys knew, they didn't know how to make costumes, but they knew a lot about them. That was before crystals for the most part. So that was when hand sewing of sequins and bugle beads and all that. Guys knew how to, to decorate their own costumes by hand sewing and the beads on and stuff. Um, so he actually showed me a couple of things and, you know, I didn't seem to think that was too hard to do. I had never done beading before, but I kind of just copied what I saw. And, uh, and then there were some stones that went on things, but they were the thing with the hole in the middle, you know, the old days, no glue. And uh, he, so he took me downtown LA and he showed me where you buy that. And then, we went over to West Hollywood and that's where you get the fabric. And he had, he was pairs. So I had to figure out how to do the girls too. And I'd never made a leotard and I had no idea what I was doing. And he was just so kind and so patient. Now I look at it and I'm going, Oh my God, the stretch was going the wrong way. That's why the girl had a wedgie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and there was no, I had no idea. The thing that, that I think probably me the most was when he took me to the lady that because we bought it everything like from the fabric store and then we trotted it over to where this lady did the dyeing of it and I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know how to make the costume but I was so impressed that this because I had never dyed anything I just got it off the bolt you know musical theater or whatever you know just buy this stuff and this woman could take it and take it from one color to the other and I just said Someday I am going to know how to do that. I just have to learn how to do that, like really well, to where I can make any color I want and blah blah blah. But that was then, and I didn't know what I was doing. So he picked up the stuff, and then he just kind of walked me through how to fit it, and, you know, what you should do here and there and everywhere, and what girl skirt should hang like and stuff. And by the time I was done with the projects that I did, two or three, and he actually one actually went to the '84 Olympics. Um, he had changed partners by then. He was then he was with Jill, uh, whatever her name is. So she got a new costume to match his. But so that was my first Olympics, yay, 1984 Sarajevo, which I think isn't even there anymore. But um, and that was when I started. And from the very first time I got involved in it, I basically didn't want to do anything else because there was so much. Everything else was there was not as much to learn as there was to learn about this. And, um, and I, and I, and by God, you know, in about 10 or 15 years, I actually had taught myself how to dye that fabric, you know, and the acid dyes and the, all these crazy things that you have to do to get the right color to now I dye everything. I dye the nude, uh, sometimes even dye black, you know, because I got control of the colors, but then somewhere through this whole thing, the entire 
costumes changed because by back then the girls were pretty plain. That was in the 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 Ty and Randy days, you know, like not much going on. And the guys guys all wore the onesies with the zip up. That's what I worked with with my guy Bert, um, and trying to make that like the 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 Scott Hamilton look, you know, the the unitard. Uh, that's the look. And then just as I had figured that out, things started to dramatically change in the 90s. The 90s ushered in the era of glue on crystals. And in Jan's words, the amount of decoration went nuts. Back in Christy Yamaguchi's day, which is kind of like the, like you could see Christy Yamaguchi, forget the puffy shoulder thing, you know, that went with the times. But she's her her stuff was really well done but that was also the same as the tanya harding time tanya couldn't afford anything so she did it herself more power to her i tanya that was i know that she did make her own stuff and um and i wasn't really that heavily into it yet i mean i was still i was coming out of the bert lasan like kind of plain outfits and so this whole thing of watching her compare to Yamaguchi or something was like, whoa, these things look like birthday cakes decorated to, this is not what I'm used to. So if I want to ever do this, I have to figure out how to do that. And then, uh, then obviously who broke right through the whole thing was Nancy with her Vera dresses and everybody went, just sat down. They're like, hold it. You know, this is a game changer. And then everybody tried unsuccessfully to mimic that and kind of through that whole thing, it just got more and more intense, like labor intensive. And then to try to make your work look different from somebody else's, you had to come up with strategies so that we weren't copying each other. A lot of people still copy, you know, whatever, but, you know, but I was just like, I was just steady through the whole thing. And since I was raising all these kids, I was still working at night or whenever I wasn't taking somebody to the violin lesson or the whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and for me, I just steadily could not, I could not stop trying to get better at it. And it was really just that. I just wanted to get good. I was a little too young to remember the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan conflict perfectly, but I do remember that Vera Wang dress, and it was, as Jan said, a real game changer. It was simple, it was sleek, and it didn't have any of that clutter that adorned so many costumes of that era. My own favorite dress was also really simple. It was Michelle Kwan's 1998 Olympic long program dress. It looked kind of like a pale blue leotard. You know, it wasn't showy. It was just classy and elegant, and it made her seem even more graceful, if that was even possible. As a teenager, I fell in love with skating even more, and I'd record competitions, um, and then I'd play them over and over again, and I'd sometimes pause them and sketch out my own dress ideas based on the stuff I was seeing on the athletes on TV. As with regular fashion, skating costume design evolves. Jan became better and better and learned more and more throughout her career, to the point that she eventually started setting the trends, helped in part by a skater named Sasha Cohen. Things changed, never to go back, when Sasha, who I had known for years because she skated with my daughter, um, they, they both worked with John Nix, and so I knew Sasha from when she was like seven years old, but we kind of just like chips in the night, you know, and then she got really, really big and went back to Connecticut 
And um, she and my daughter were really good friends, but I never had anything to do with her. Uh, and then she moved back here and was going into the whatever, whatever it was, 03 or 04 national something. She moved back and I just got this call one day, you know, hi, Dan, this little high voice. You know, this is Sasha um, Cohen. Um, could you make a dress for me for national? And we started our relationship that way. And we worked together for five years uh, making, I mean, I, I think I made her 27 dresses altogether or something because, because we, you know, not only the competitive stuff and the world stuff and the Olympic stuff, but she did shows. She did, she toured with, it was champions on ice first and then it was stars on ice. And, and then she did all the Nissan shows. And so there was a ton of stuff that we worked together on, but that was when I kind of got to a place where I was no longer following the trends, but I was setting the trends. People were copying Sasha. People were copying me. And, um, and, and that kind of changed everything once and for all. Um, but that was when we got past the, the Yamaguchi stuff or the Nancy Kerrigan stuff or whatever. And we just started working on things that basically hadn't been tried before. And then the, after she decided, you know, wisely to move on, we had done so much stuff together that by now there were whole categories of things that were being done that were based on the work that I had done with her. Like, I don't know how many knockoffs there were of that damn blue dress with the yellow stuff hanging off the shoulders, but endless knockoffs of that. People are still knocking that off. Um, and there are a few other ones that, that people that, that I just would see coming up here or there and everywhere. eBay, you know, everywhere was, was somebody trying to make one of those things. And kind of from then, I kind of forgot to look around to what other people were doing and just decided to invent my own stuff. I can picture that dress clear as day in my mind. That's how popular it was. Jan, I want to know more about the actual design process. How do you get from idea to finished outfit? It comes, it, it, for every costume designer, it's different. Um, and, you know, some, some people go straight for the music. I go into, I get the music and I listen to it. And I always research the music and I always research the, who, the composer of the music. You know, the, every piece of music has a story. And and the composer has a story. So I want to put all of that together. And when I start thinking about it, but then the most important thing for me, which I know is not the same with all, you know, some, some, some dressmakers want to just, okay, I get it now leave me alone. And, 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 but I don't, because I know the the story that the skater wants to tell is the one that will really get me. And if they don't have a story, I tell them, that they have to think about it until they do have a story. Don't let your choreographer just tell you what to do. You're out there for four minutes or two minutes and you're telling a story. Some kids, Karen showed up and she had a really strong story. There was this movie, The Golden Pond, um, and there was these birds that were floating around in the water. And that's why we get the hand thing. But there was also this thing that she fell in love with, with her ballet class that was white peacock something or another. So I said, ah, so she wanted somewhere a reference to a white peacock. So that kind of fell into it too. And at the end, I always want to know what the skater's story is more than even the music. And if they don't have a story, I feel that they need to 
give it a lot of thought uh, because I want to costume the story, not necessarily just the music. And the last thing I want to do is just make a dress, like just here, here's your dress, here's what you're going to wear. But I, I leave it so I can edit it. Um, so we have one fitting, mostly finished. And then I kind of just take it apart, you know, take the side seams out, that kind of thing. Um, customize it to whatever the notes were in the fitting and uh, put it back together, slap a bunch of more decoration on it. And, and then the next fitting is on the ice where they know, you know, is this skirt working or whatever. So I don't make the process with the skater, this endless thing where they stand there where you're pinning this and that and the other. You know, I do all of that first and then they slide into it. We we work out the problems um, or just where it was needs to be edited. And then the next one is it's pretty much on a hanger and ready to go. And most of the time I'm chasing them down the runway at whatever airport they're leaving from. <laughs> always it's always 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 down to the last minute and um, I'm pretty sure all of us work the same way because we have to take care of so many people that you prioritize who you who goes here and what goes there and whatever and then for the people that there there's just so many people that I never even met that I, I mean I work with people in Kentucky and Australia and people that I'll never get to meet so we just pray that our measurements are relatively okay. And then they don't even get a fitting. Their fitting is when they open up the box and try it on. And generally, I'm pretty lucky. You know, I'm, I'm thinking I may have once had something where we just, this is just way, way, way too big. But I'll tell you, and honestly, the, the measurements were pretty funky. They're mom took. <laughs> you just pray that that's not going to happen for the most part. Um, but so, so that's basically the process. I don't labor over it with the person here. I just kick them out as soon as I get all my information and I get back to them for a fitting. And then the, the next one is just they're, they're basically on the ice with it after that. And for a, like 99 out of 100, they work. So I'm very lucky for that. And they're generally pretty happy with it. Was there a point for you when you consciously realized that oh, you know, I've got this. I'm one of the best. I know what I'm doing because it's not like a standardized test. It's not something based on time where it's quantitative. I mean, you can't even get a degree in what you do. I think it's like skating. At first, you can't you can't do a crossover and you think, I'm never going to get to do this. And all of a sudden, when did that happen? When did that become just a thing you can do? Um, but there you are, right? Or your first... How did that waltz jump turn into a double axle? Got me. But, you know, as you're doing it, you you don't even remember when it got to be where you weren't falling on this thing 5,000 times a day. Because um, we all do whatever we're trying to learn to do. We do that. So anyway, yeah, that's, that is the process. And if you talk to the next guy, they're going to give you a whole different story on the process because we are all self-taught. There's nowhere you go to learn how to do this. You either are crazy enough to want to learn how to teach yourself. And it's there's no coach. There's no fashion school. There's no nothing, nothing. You you start with just a, a desire to, to make something that you find beautiful and have no idea how to do 
and then you just take years to teach yourself by trial and error, mostly error. Um, and if you're at the end of it and you're still in love with it, I guess you should keep going because you packed in a lot of information at some point. But it's completely self-taught, which is why we do respect each other because there's no way anybody could do this except just just a fierce desire to want to make this thing possible for yourself. So every time somebody gets on the ice and they look good, some dressmaker has crawled through the trenches to make that happen. Okay, so maybe not the question you want me to ask, but I can't resist. Have there been any wardrobe malfunctions that you know of with any of your outfits? Not yet. I did have one wedgie from a girl, but that's been 15 years ago. I'm lucky for that. I mean, there's no way about it. The the skating gods have smiled on me because I haven't had anything close to a malfunction but I thought that that doesn't keep me up at night I always worry about it always and what happens when all is said is done when all the costumes are finished and everyone's gotten to their competitions I I, I mean I, I'm glued to an ice network every year you know not just my people but all of them just because I just I've kind of like it that's that's the end of the season for me I mean I work up to the last minute. I work through Christmas. I work through all this stuff, you know, just to get everybody on the ice. And then I take this time to, I literally just sit back, have a glass of wine, sit there all day, watch juveniles, everything. Because I, then I get back in touch with this thing that I really do basically love. I was never a skater, but I loved it since I was 10 years old. And what about retirement? Is that in the cards for you down the road? For me, it's never going to happen. You know, so let's forget it. I'll be in a walker. I'll be in a wheelchair. I don't care. The day I don't have something else that I want to either learn or invent, which is pretty much where it is now, because learning, there's a point where you get where, okay, you can't really learn more, but you can invent new stuff and you can learn that. Like you can cook up stuff that you've never done. Like I just did a few things for, um, when I did Karen's dress that I've never done, like I didn't, didn't dye things like that before and, and stuff. So as soon as I get done with like, there's nothing else that I ever want to like invent and wake up in the middle of the morning at night and go, Oh, what about that? But until then, no, 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 it's not going to happen. But anyway, it, it is just, there is no other thing that's half as interesting to me, you know, and, and, and again, my family thinks, Mom, it's figure skating, you know, give me a break. It doesn't matter to me. It's like this is like a thing. It's like a mission to always come up with something new. Jan, this conversation has been so amazing. I've loved it so much. So thank you for that. And I just have one question left. What is it about skating that you love so much? What is it that drew you to the sport and hasn't been able to let you go? There is not a ride at Six Flags that feels like when a kid is flying around the ice, there's nothing in the world that can hook you on that feeling. You know, if you get hooked, if you don't, then whatever. But I mean, hockey, those guys, they don't just do it because whatever, that's a feeling they get when they do it. There's nothing like it. And that there is nothing that comes even close. And so I, because I did do this adult skating until it just got to be silly because I did have all these kids. Um, and I never competed or anything. I think I did twice, but you know, it was just 
for me, learning just that much, there is nothing in the world that felt like that. And, and so now when I see a dress and it doesn't have to be at the Olympics, it can be some regional thing. I don't care. I'm kind of there because those are my stitches. Those are my stones. You know, that's me in there. Those are all those hours that I put in. And it's like my vicarious way to always be on the ice. And it absolutely is part of why I keep doing this and not doing something else. Because I could do a lot of other costume things, but but I, but I then I wouldn't be on the ice. And as long as I keep doing this, I'm on the ice. And nothing feels like that. I can totally relate to the feeling of flying that Jan's talking about. Speaking from my own experience, I can say that nothing in my life has ever come close to feeling the way skating made me feel. At the age of 22, I hung up my skates. The last competition dress I wore is still hanging in my closet. It's pale lavender with crystals, of course, and is based on a design that Japanese skater Fumeya Suguri wore. Much like a wedding or a prom dress, it's a piece of clothing that symbolizes so much. And even though I don't plan on ever wearing it again, I don't think I'll ever be able to part with it. Like the sport of skating, it's left an indelible mark on my life. I'd like to thank Jan Longmire for the wonderful chat we had. Although a return to skating in light of the pandemic has been really hard, I'm sure she'll be back designing costumes as soon as things open up more. To learn more about Jan and her designs, you can check out her website at janlongmirecostume.com. That's J-A-N-L-O-N-G. M-I-R-E costume.com. Thank you so much for listening. A really quick update. I was dropping episodes every Tuesday, but I think I'm going to shift to every other Tuesday. So look out for the next show to drop September 14th. In the meantime, if you want to learn more about us, you can follow us on Instagram at you run like a girl podcast, and please head over to our website to sign up for updates. You run like a girl podcast.com. I believe that if you can see it, you can be it. So whether you want to make an impact on the basketball court or in the boardroom or better yet both, I hope these stories inspire and motivate you to keep chasing your dreams. Let's get it.